Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I'm so, so excited to have one of the Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu legends. I've been following his career his whole life, and I'm so excited because I, I reached out to him, and I was praying that, that he would respond, and he, he has. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Travis Stevens here. Travis Stevens is a three-time Olympian. He's a 2016 silver medalist. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He currently trains out of the Fuji gym uh, in judo, and he, you know, and he's dedicated to training children, which I really, really, really admire. Um, and he's a sixth dom black belt in judo. Uh, and uh, in, anyway, we're going to go over all the other stuff through his history when we're going over these questions. And Travis, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure I, to be here. I really, really appreciate you. I, I have to tell you, I have your DVDs, and I've used your DVDs many times in training. So thank you awesome. so, so much. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying, um, where were you born and raised? Uh, Tacoma, Washington, uh, February 28th, 1986. And when you were uh, when you when you were growing up, uh, how were you into sports, and how close were you to your, your your parents? And do you have any brothers and sisters? I have one sister, really close with my mother and my grandparents. Um, always played sports as a kid, kept me out of trouble. Um, Judo was one that I picked up fairly early on in my childhood, but it was never my sole sport. Not until maybe my junior year of high school. I always played multiple sports. Growing so when up. so when you were young, so what was your childhood like growing up? What was your relationship? You said you're close to your your mom and your grandma. And how how did that relationship develop? And how did you you said you got into sports? What are, what other things did you like to do? Um, soccer was my main sport. Um, I hated baseball, but I played it. Um, just the idea of standing at a plate and letting somebody hurl a ball at you as fast as they can just sounds like a bad idea to me. So never really a fan of it. And it wasn't very, it's not an active enough sport for me, but, um, yeah. So soccer, um, was usually the main thing I played as a kid growing up. And then judo was always in the mix throughout the seasons as they changed. And so typically, yeah. So so when you were so when you were young, you played soccer and you and you played baseball. And was your parents or was your was your mom supportive of that? And were you like into school or were you more on the sports side? More on the sports side. I didn't really play that many school sports. I picked up tennis in high school for two seasons, but typically most of my sports were played out of school. Um, we didn't have a lot of inner school sports where I grew up. I think Washington State was one of the first ones to kind of get rid of that whole sports system and like the recess and playing outside. And all of that is kind of like when I grew up. So a lot of the activities were done after school. So typically when my mom got off work, my grandparents and my mother would drive me and my sister to all the different locations. And we would always have like a, and I was fortunate because judo play judo was never really run professionally in the country, but it actually benefited me because I liked it because typically kids classes, like if you look at any jujitsu program, right? A kid's class would run from like three to like five thirty. Well, so I was, I was able to play soccer and all my after school sports from three to five thirty, And then my mom would pick me up at five thirty, and then we could get to judo by seven. And then I could go from judo from seven to nine and then be home that night. And so, so did I you, did that most of my childhood. And did you, how did you, like, how did you get exposed to judo? Like, I mean, I mean, like you said, it wasn't really like judo's always been kind of like on the fringes. And, yep. and even, I would even say, I mean, I, I've thought judo's amazing, but it's always been kind of on the fringes. And even, even now it is. So yep. how, how did you get into it? Cause there were so many sports to choose from. So I grew up in like a Metro Parks League because so for me, a Metro Park League, for those of you guys that don't know, is like your city sponsored sports, meaning any kid can go to like a local youth center or a community center and you can sign up to play any sport. And typically parents pay anywhere from like $20 to like $80 for a season of sports. And when you sign up and you pay your money, you basically select your sports at the start. So you say in the spring, I want to play this in the fall. I want to play this. 
this activity goes year round. This one doesn't, this one's an eight week program. This one's a 12 week program. And you kind of make your selections. I accidentally selected judo instead of football. No way. So then for my season, I got stuck in judo for that quad or that. Yeah. The season. So it went from like the winter season of school, basically that like September through February ish timeframe, but then fell in love with it, stuck with it. It was a sport I could do year round. So then my seasonal sports changed as we were, as I was growing up. Did, did you even know what judo was? You said, I mean, you I had you said, no idea. Yeah. That's what I was saying. So you, no you, pick, you pick football and you're like, Oh my God. I said, did you got the yourself? list in the mail? And I was like, what's this? <laughs> and then got stuck with it. So then what made you like judo? Like what, what drew you to that? You know, I'm a very competitive person, but I'm also like a physical person. So there's not a lot of sports that are as physical as judo and the one where people try to make a comparison to is wrestling. The problem with wrestling is you can't physically grab another human and then beat them. Right. Like mm -hmm. a lot of wrestling is like level changing, ducking, like sweeping singles, shooting. Like it's a lot of like away from each other, almost like striking. Like, yes, you are physically like hitting each other, but there's a distance between the two athletes and they circle each other. Judo actually forces that clash all of the time. And the rule set forces the interaction. You can't just stand in front of somebody without being penalized for stalling. You have to engage, you have to get physical, and then it's the best person wins. So it had the solo aspect, it had the physicality, and it also had a, not anybody can do judo. It really takes like a feel and like a finesse to the sport, you know, that like you have to like understand. So there's still like a very detailed technical side of it that is like a puzzle piece or like a, a Rubik's cube. You're always trying to figure out. And every time you pick up a Rubik's cube, it's pretty much the same. Every time you step on a mat with a different person, the Rubik's cube and how you solve it is completely different. If somebody is three inches taller or three inches shorter, like you got to resolve the Rubik's cube. And so it always had that puzzle where I was always learning, always studying along with that physical aspect. So it was the one thing I found that satisfied me on like all fronts. Yeah. Cause it's almost like an intellectual challenge because it's not just yeah. a physical part of it is what does this person bring in terms of how he, how he maybe manages his balance, his positioning. Yep. So it's always a, a, a big game in some ways. You always have to be prepared for it. And let me ask you this. What did your mom think of this? When you came home, you probably said, Hey, I thought I signed up for football, but I got judo. And I don't even know what it is. <laughs> she was okay with it. You know, it, it fit a good, like, I mean, for her, it was probably easier because football was probably earlier in the day. So for her, she could get off work and get me to practice still. It wasn't until we started dueling the sports because it worked out in the schedule that I could, that she was driving me from after school to soccer, then to judo and then coming home at night. Wow. And you, and you said you were close to your mom, like describe your relationship with your mom and your grandmother and your sister. Um, we did my sister. I didn't really have that much of a relationship with growing up because I was in sports all of the time as was she. So like where she went on the weekends, I went over here. I went to a judo tournament. She went to a soccer tournament. I went to a soccer game on that side of the state. She went to a soccer game on that side of the state. And so everything was like, it's amazing just thinking about where I'm at today and the logistics behind having two kids playing three or four different sports at once and balancing all of it with work that like, you don't realize it when you're a kid, but it's like, why can't you just take me to the, why can't you just take me? Why can't I just go? And it's like, you've, you don't really understand it until you get a little bit older, but it's amazing when you think back, like what your parents have done for you, like growing up. Yeah. And that, it's, that's, it's wild. That's why I wanted, I wanted, I want you to tell me like, what was the relationship with like your mom? Because your mom sounds amazing. I, when you're telling me the story, Travis, I'm thinking, Oh my goodness. How is his mom doing that? Because like you said, managing a job and then two kids that are so active in sport. I mean, how does she manage it? And was she like, did was my she grandparents pretty positive? helped out a ton. 
My grandparents and, helped out a ton. And were they both yeah. were they support were they supportive with that as well? Like, come on, we yeah. want you to do it. Very much. Very much. Because I grew and, up in like slightly of an inner city. So anytime you weren't in an activity, you were you were causing trouble. Hands down, you were causing trouble. So and that, it was that, just so what, what you, so what what did your friends think of that? You said, and I'm glad you brought that up. So you knew that your 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 grandparents and your mom knew that hey, I want to keep them busy with school because yeah. uh, school and and with sports because I know they might be getting into something else. And was it hard to stay away from uh, let's say those kind of vices? Were were people trying to pull you to that, or were you able to stay away from that? You know, looking looking back on it the you know they make movies about situations like this where like there's always that like superstar athlete kid that is like in an inner city has the chance to fall into gangs but like for some reason like the gangs kind of leave him alone because he's kind of doing this thing over here but like could go either way and thinking back on it like had i done just one sport i easily could have gone either way but because I was so busy all of the time that like the community of like people my age understood that like I was doing these other things at this time rather than, you know, I hang out with my friends five days a week and then I play sports twice a week. Well, when that day of the week comes around, like, Hey man, don't go to practice today. Nah, just stay here, hang out. And it's only like an every so often and you get conditioned that, and you spend more time in that environment, it tends to draw you in. I was fortunate enough to spend a bulk of my time in the sports environment instead of that inner city environment where like a lot of my friends were in gangs, getting arrested, prison, stealing, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, yes, we're friends, but when four o'clock rolls around, like I got to go do this thing. And then you weren't quite involved in the environment as long as they were. So when you think back on this interesting Chavez, cause you said, like you said, you're older, you're kind of processing this different. Yeah. So like when you look back on this, you, you look at it and you say, you know, I realize actually sports probably saved my life or say at least it, it determined the road you were going to go down. Yeah. And then it's just how far down the road are you willing to take it? And a lot of that is determined by the community of people you have around you and how much they support you down that path. Because all how, those people have the ability to just roadblock the road for you. And and how did your, like your friends at the time, did, were you able to build, so most of your friendships were built in judo or other sports. Were, did you, were you able to develop friendships with other people in your high school? And how did they accept you because you were so focused on your sport? How, how did you manage that? I had zero friends in high school. Wow. I'm not so sure I spoke to any one person really. Um, had a few people like in classes that like I would speak to every once in a while, but never went to a school sporting event, never went to a school dance, never paid for a yearbook, um, you know, skipped six, six period every semester on the second semester. So I never went to class and spent most of my time during my lunch breaks working out in the gym. Wow. So you had so, that, you've always been this dedicated. See, it's, it's interesting because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is I have, I have a friend that also went to the Olympics in track and field and she has kind of the same dedication as you. And one of the things she said to me was um, because I couldn't understand her training regimen. And one of the things she said to me is it's hard to describe training for the Olympics and wanting something so bad and being so singularly focused on something. And all of you, when you speak to us, you kind of um, speak in a way that it's, it's no big deal to miss a practice, but you really don't understand the significance of that. Is that correct? Um, yeah, to a degree. I mean, you know, I think, I think a lot of athletes glorify their careers and embellish on what they do and don't do. And they get glorified based on, you know, the idea of like what a training session really is, you know, 
I remember having conversations with like wrestlers and they're like, oh, we did four workouts today. It's like, no, you didn't. One of your workouts was you went and sat in the sauna for 30 minutes. That's not working out. Right? Like you studying tape is not working out. Like, yes, you're developing, but like, that's not what, that's not what a workout means. Like you hanging out with your friend and discussing arbitrarily, like the benefits of a single leg this way versus that way, where, yeah, you spent an hour on the mats, but like, that's not a workout. Like you guys are just having a fun, friendly discussion where yes, you're educating yourself, but that's not training. You can't tell people you worked out four times a day when one of them was a sauna session and one of them was a glorified conversation about a technique. Right. And you see that a lot in jujitsu where it's like, oh, we train so much. You taught a private, you drilled for a little bit. You probably burned 300 calories in the two hours that you spent on the mat because most of it you spent talking. There was no organization and structure to the practice. And it's like, you guys are half-assing it. Like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. So let me ask you this. So you got onto the judo track when you were a teenager. How old were you at the time? And how did you make your mark? When did people start noticing you in the judo world? that hey this guy has talent this person can go somewhere when did you start to develop in your own mind you know what i'm really good at this um i was always really good as a kid like um my my athletic ability as a kid was probably in like the top one percent just growing up right like for some reason my ability to pick things up in a physical way and my own physical limitations and my ability to look at something and then recreate it like in a physical sense is very simple like even when i was learning things from john donaher for like the first time i remember my first class we were taught how to pull x guard and sweep i'm a judo guy like i don't even know what those things mean but at the same time, like I don't set barriers in my, in my way, as far as learning and developing, and I don't put limitations on my ability to do things. My first, my first reaction is I can do this until I can't. So when I go into it with that positive mindset of like, I can do this, I just do it. It makes sense to me. And then I understand well enough in advance, like what the goal is. So now I know what I'm fighting for. I have the physical ability to pull it off and I have a willingness to learn. That makes learning sports and learning things very easy for me at a very young age. So I think from the time I was like seven to 12, I lost like four or six matches year round fighting up a weight class and up an age group every time. Wow. And then when I was 11, I blew my knee out. I didn't play sports from 11 to 15, period. I was stuck in crutches, therapy for two years, learned how to walk again, picked up tennis, had surgery on my knee after the first season, dealing with all the scar tissue, and then tried to play tennis again sophomore year and then got into judo. Man, Travis, you know what? I've, I've read all about your story. I didn't even, and that's what I love about doing these podcasts is like I, you learn something about some, somebody that you didn't even know before. How did you get through that point? Because you're such an athlete. How did you focus on your rehab and getting through that? And was that a difficult time in your life? And how did you get through that? I got into a lot of trouble. Like at one point, my parents almost shipped me off to military school, pulled me right out of school. Cause like I couldn't do anything And as a physical kid. Like, you get angry, you get frustrated, you get violent, you start looking for outlook, outreach things. It's, it's a scary thing when you take somebody's passion and mine wasn't judo, but mine was like, I like to be physical. I want to be outside. I want to be doing things. I don't want to be trapped indoors. Uh, during the four years, I got really good at competitive chess. So, but it, it didn't have that, like that physical element. So I had an intellectual piece, but then I would get into trouble outside of school because I don't have that physical element, right? So it's only half the battle. So how did you get back on track? It was like 11 o'clock at night. 
I found an old tape of me doing judo with my family. I threw it in the VHS tape of all things, the VCR. For those of you kids that don't know, it's a big box like this and you shove it in, right? I'm old. And I watched it and I was like, everybody was happy. My family was happy. I was happy. And I went, you know what? Maybe it's time to do that all over again. I woke up the next day, told my mom I wanted to get back into judo. She found a club, took me there, see if I could like it, see if my knee could handle it. Um, I did okay during the first practice. And from there, it, it flew. So, Travis, how did you get discovered? Because obviously the, the, the Olympic track, how did you get onto that track? And how did you meet, I guess, Jimmy Pedro and all of them had to connect with you somehow? How, who noticed you? Um, I'm not so sure as much as I got noticed, as much as all of the stars kind of aligned for me, right? Um, when I was coming up, Jimmy was fresh off his Olympic career and he started to get into coaching and USA judo put up a plan called the under 23 program, which is what they have in Europe. And it's basically a gateway to take you from your junior career to your adult career. Because when you're a 21 year old stepping on the mat for the first time as a senior, fighting a world champion with eight years of experience on the circuit, there's a little bit of like a discrepancy there as far as knowledge, skill, strength, power, all those things. And so the under 23 program is really there to gear athletes to help them segue into the senior environment in a meaningful way. And because he had that program, he identified the top juniors that were becoming seniors but not the seniors who are already top levels. And then he isolated us into a group and then started hand selecting different events and different things that were geared towards our level so that we could learn how to be successful. Cause that's the biggest problem. Most people have is they think that they're just going to be successful because they work hard. Like winning is a habit. It's not just a reality. Like you learn how to win. Hard work doesn't do that. Everybody works hard. So how do you learn, how do you learn how to win? Um, you have to be put in situations where you can be educated on what it takes to actually win given the set of circumstances, right? If we're looking at judo as an example, right? Or boxing is another great example, but Think about what you do in the first set of a match, which would be like the first minute, right? That's when you're trying to learn your opponent. You're feeling it out. The second minute, you're building your plan. The third minute, you're executing your plan. When you're ahead in the last minute, what are you doing? And this is where people can't figure out how to win. They take the plan that they came in with, and it's the plan that they left with. They don't know how to build plans around the framework and which stage of the match they're in, right? So it's a, it's a process where like you learn how to gather information, you learn how to take it all in, you make educated decisions, you execute it, you get more information, you reformulate the plan, you execute it and you get more information. And it's a, it's a system of learning and developing. It's not, Hey, I'm going to show up and just do what I do. That's not what works, right? You get lucky every once in a while, but that's not really what works. And it takes a long time for athletes to truly understand how to do that. And once you understand it, you can pretty much use that same flow in any walk of life. It's Dude, not I, just about winning a judo match. Right. Yeah. I was but, listening. I was listening to that and I was like, this, that's like what the best leaders in the country talk about. Exactly what you say, being, having to be, you have a plan, but you have to be flexible and, yeah. and, and operate within that structure. Yes. And it sounds exactly, that's exactly what you, that's exactly what you do now. And you've done that your whole life. It's amazing. And what is your typical day? Like when you were training, when you, when you, I guess you said you started before when you were a senior. So how did you manage that with school? And then what was your typical training day? Like failed at school horribly. Um, got thrown out of San Jose state just because 
just uninterested. It just doesn't, it just doesn't suit me, but that doesn't mean I don't like to learn and I don't like to do things. Mm -hmm. It's just not, just doesn't appeal to me. Um, so I spent most of my time and structured my entire existence around my workout schedule, not, I needed to figure out how to put food on the table and then figure out training. Training always came first. Like at one point when I was at San Jose state, I was training so much that I had to get a job to pay the rent, but also give me free food Oh wow! because it was enough to pay the rent, but not enough to eat. So you figure out those trade-offs, but I never missed a practice, you know, like it, everything comes and goes. And it's like, again, never made a sacrifice. Never happened in my career. Never will. I never bend. Yeah, the community it's, it's, bends yeah. around me. And if you don't bend to help support what it is I'm trying to do, you'll be gone. Just you won't exist in my life. Yeah, your dis your discipline is just out of this world. I mean, try but it's Travis. not it's not discipline happens when you have to do something you don't want to do. That's true. Very true. Right. I'm not really that disciplined. I just ate a whoopie pie for lunch. Like <laughs> I do what I want to do. It's just, it happens to be that the things I want to do are the things that lead to success. And so that whole idea of discipline is easy for me because I'm doing what I want to do. It's when people are in situations that they don't want to be in that they, they struggle with that idea of what discipline is. Like I've never once followed a nutrition program my entire career. Never once. Wow. I'll eat McDonald's, drink a Diet Coke and kick this <laughs> shit out of anybody who steps in front of me. doesn't matter. Because uh, I don't believe in it. If the idea of a salad is the difference between winning and losing a gold medal, you can have it. Wow. That's amazing. And so what is your typical train day life and train day like? Uh, back then and then who were your mentors who were some of the people that you went to um in the judo world for mentorship or even outside the judo world never really had any mentors i never i never believed in the idea of needing to be motivated if you feel like you need to be motivated to do what you want to do you probably don't really want to do it all i ever saw were what people had done and I wanted more. So all I have to do is take what they do and do more and do it better or figure out a way to do it more efficiently so that I can get a better result. But the idea of like trying to follow in somebody's footsteps just didn't, doesn't sit well with me. So, so who are your primary training partners and who'd you train with when you were prior to the first Olympics? Uh, whoever I could. It, it was really hit or miss. You know, I was at San Jose State for a little bit. At one point, we only had three people in the room. Then I got kicked out. Then I went home. I had a guy just live with me and train with me, and we would practice three times a day. And then we would uh, go to the gym or go running on the fourth session of every day. And our practices were, we're going to set a clock. We're going to do five-minute rounds. And you let me know when we're done and we'll be done. Some practices were an hour. Some practices were two. Some practices were 30 minutes. Because my training partner just, he was like, I can't stand up anymore. And, I, and like, this okay, is, I guess we're calling it a day. And this, so your training, so your typical day was, what was your typical day like? When I was getting ready for London, mm -hmm. I was doing six sessions a day, five or six sessions, five days a week. And two to four sessions on Saturday and Sunday. And how, how long were those sessions for? 30 minutes? And you said just. You know, gym sessions could range about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. Judo sessions were an hour and a half. Jiu-Jitsu sessions were an hour and a half. And every night ended with either a 25-minute run or a 25-minute swim. And then who and when did, I went who, swimming, I would sit in a sauna, but that doesn't really count. So who developed those workouts? Did you develop these yourself, Travis, or did you have did you have input from from the USA team? My trainer at Mike Boyles would train me for lifting or rehab, depending on the day, because we went every day. 
but some days were focused more on movement and therapy, like putting the body back together and making sure I don't get injured. And some workouts were geared towards like strength building, depending on, you know, the season. Judo workouts were controlled by Jimmy and his father. Um, I controlled the jujitsu workouts because they're not really that difficult. It was more of like a burn some extra calories, you know, do a mindless activity that doesn't take a lot of thought. Um, kind of like, you know, going for a run. I just hate running. So I would rather do jujitsu and just roll around to break an extra sweat. It's also a good way to flush the system because it doesn't use a lot of power and a lot of cardio. It's kind of just a move around a little bit. And then my tough judo session at night was again, controlled by Jimmy and his father. And then the conditioning portion at the end was something I would just do just for mental strength, mental stability, you know, doing things I didn't want to do, but felt like I needed to do making sure that I was doing things that opponents weren't doing just so that if I ever stepped on a mat or were in deep waters, I had something I could fall back on to give me that little bit extra edge where I knew I never gave up. I did more than they did. I deserve it. Whatever you tell yourself. How do you deal with loss? Like when you, I'm sure, cause you are a competitor. So if, when you lost, how did you handle that? And how do you get through those difficult times and motivate yourself for the next match? Um, taking responsibility for my actions, right? Like no one ever beats me is a saying that I use all the time. I'm the only one that beats me because if I do everything right, it's an impossibility to lose, right? So clearly I'm making mistakes. My opponent's not better than me. I just made a mistake. So now we just rectify the mistake and then we go back to work. When you had one of your most difficult or when you have your difficult matches um, prior to, or you know it's going to be a difficult match, how do you prepare mentally for those? And I'm sure there's been a couple of competitors in your life. You're like, you know, I know I have to get my head in the game or I have to stay focused. What do you do? What do you do? Never happened. Those situations don't exist. If you're running into those types of scenarios, you're putting yourself in a situation that you don't belong in. You're just ill prepared for the outcome. Right. When people show up and they're nervous, they're uncertain, they're worried. They clearly didn't do the mental preparation and the physical work to prepare well enough to feel confident enough to actually step on the mat and compete. And so if I'm in those types of situations, it's primarily because I'm coming back from an injury. I've had a few setbacks. Um, the expectation is not to win the event. So, you know, it's, it's just, they're not, they're not scenarios where I hold a lot of weight when it comes to looking at my career as a whole versus the individual moment in time, right? People always use that say, saying of like, I have bad minutes, not bad days. But when I look at my entire career, like, yes, there's bad minutes, but there's, it's never a bad experience overall, right? So. I also understand I'm going to lose gripping exchanges. I'm going to lose positioning. It's all going to be okay. I'm a professional. I'll figure it out. It's not that hard. I've been here plenty of times. I look at all of my athletes, even when I'm training them now, and I'm like, how are you tired? You can train for two hours, but you can't fight five minutes. What are we doing? Like, you got to get your mental, mental sanity under control, get your adrenaline under control, Understand that you've done this for two hours. You're a judo player. You're at a judo tournament doing judo. Nothing changes. So how do you right? do that? How do you do that, Travis? Because, you know, you're an Olympian for a reason. You're at the top of your sport for a reason. There's something, like you said, you're in that 1% or 2% of all of the whole world. We're not talking even the U.S. We're talking about the whole world. How do you prepare yourself mentally Um what kind of what kind of things do you what, what kind of things would you recommend people to practice to get strong mentally? Um, the the first one and probably the the one that helped me out the most was understanding the idea that like 
No one gives a shit. Like truly. Like no one cares about my silver medal. It didn't change my life. No one cares. Like you followed my entire career. Name me three tournaments where I lost first round. Yeah. No one knows. No one cares. No one remembers. Who cares? The world travels at such a fast pace today that whatever happens today will be forgotten tomorrow unless you internally make it out to be more than it is. Right? It's like I've had conversations with athletes all the time. They're like, oh, I feel embarrassed. No one cares. There might be 30,000 people watching you. No one remembers. The only person who cares is you. If you feel embarrassed, that's on you. No one else gives a shit. And no one's going to give a shit tomorrow. Right? I competed in the 2008 Olympics. I couldn't even tell you who won. I couldn't even (laughs) name all the winners. I was there. I couldn't even tell you the names of everybody in my division. And we were supposed to be the best in the world. I couldn't even do it for real. And that was just a few years ago. It's, it's, it's amazing. I have no idea. No one cares. I don't even care. Who cares? So basically, we all got more important things to do. Right. So basically what you're saying lesson is, is you, you learn from it and you move forward. Yeah. You, you can't hold is. on to You can't hold on to it. Yeah. That plan for the future. If something bad happens today, you have to trust in your ability as an athlete, trust in your coaches to formulate a better game plan for tomorrow. And if you don't trust in that process, you're not in the right business, right? Like even like when I build websites now, I don't care if it fails at first, give me the data. I'm smart enough to make an educated decision and I'll fix it. If you ask me to fix it without the data, I'm going to say, okay, but you're not going to like the results. We're just guessing now, but let's build it. Let's figure it out. Let's get a bunch of information. And like, just like for all my athletes, like, you're not even trying to win. You're trying not to lose. If you were trying to win, you would have gotten thrown. If you're trying to win, you'd have gotten countered. Like at least get countered because then I can fix it. But if you never try to throw the guy, I'm going to keep trying to tell you to throw the guy. And then you're going to keep telling me that you don't feel like you can. And I'm going to say, I keep telling you to try to throw him. You keep telling me you feel like you can't. We're at an impasse. I guess I'll stay home and watch the football game. So how, what do you want how, me to do? How was it when you, when you won that silver medal? How did you feel? And what was that? What was that like? What was that experience like for you? Like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders because there was, I'm probably one of the best judo players in the world with the worst record in the world. And it's a, it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to understand because unless you followed my entire career, I don't have the medals to back my ability. And it's a challenge because of just how I treated my career, the things I did throughout my career, the things I had to go through throughout my career and the timing in which everything happened. And it's just like, as an example for people that don't understand, I have fought in three Olympic games and I made two Olympic semifinals at two of the Olympic games. I beat the world number one at one of the Olympic games. I lost by a singular point to both the Olympic gold medalist of that year and the bronze medalist. So the two people I lost to were eventual medalists and barely lost at that. Then I came back to beat the world number one lost in the semi lost for the bronze. Then I came back and beat the world number one again to make an Olympic final. Now I'm a Pan American games champion. I'm a Pan Am champion. I even have a European championship medal. Now here's the crazy stat. I've never made the quarterfinals of the worlds. I I've lost first round. I think at five world championships out of like the seven I've been to. The best I've ever done is two and one. No, I'm sorry. Three and one. And that didn't even get me to the quarters because there was like 105 people in the bracket and I didn't get a buy in the first round. I just, 
couldn't do it. And there's a few other events where it's like, because I fought so often and all I cared about was the matches and the data and the Olympics that I never slowed down to peak for like really important events. I just wanted to keep fighting. I just wanted to keep learning. I just wanted to keep developing. So I have wins against all of those people, but slowing down for the day and saying, today I'm going to be healthy, ready, and mentally strong enough to go and win the world championships. I never did it. Wow. I just, and your, I always kept fighting. And your mom, when, when you won, I, I, has your mother followed your whole career and does she, yep. uh, does she give you a lot of support? And I, I bet she's just so proud of how driven you are. I mean, you're just so successful now with your businesses and all the things that you're doing, but your drive is pretty amazing. Your passion. I was, I was fortunate enough to have coaches and parents understand that they have to let go. They have to, you know, you see some, some athletes do really well where it's like their parents are like right by their side from like the day they step onto the field of play to the Olympic games. My mother was not allowed to follow me at any of my events from the time I was a teenager until she watched me compete at the Olympic games, no contact. She let me like take charge and do things and take risks and develop and learn so that when it came time to step onto the mat, like I could do so without worry. Cause my mother, when I got injured as a kid, she was like, when she was at practice, all she was was concerned because she watched me as a child, break my leg in half. She watched me get numerous concussions as a kid. And then she eventually said, this sports we're out, we're done. We're not going back. So when I came back, she was always on the sideline, like hovering, worried, concerned. It's like, now you drop me off at practice and you stay in the car. When I compete, you go somewhere else. Like, this is what I am doing. And then when I come back and I'm okay, we can celebrate, but not beforehand. And we just have that understanding that like, this is my thing. It's not your thing. This is my thing. And so she let me and all my coaches did the same thing. They just allowed me to take control and have that thing in my life. And then how did you transition to the jujitsu world? I mean, I, I know you. I don't you know were, if I ever have. Jiu-jitsu people are lazy. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. So tell me what your experience was. I mean, you, you trained with Henzo Gracie and John Danahauer, some of the best. And um, they must have just got a kick out of you because uh, – uh, this judo guy comes in here and does so well in jujitsu uh, and you pick up things so quickly. How was that experience for you? Um, my first couple practices were a little shaky because it's so different. It's like things come at you from like angles and places that like you never thought imaginable. But again, it's, it's just a giant puzzle. It's like once you know, now you'll never get caught with it again because as long as you're intelligent enough to keep that data – then now it's easy. So my first couple of weeks were like a little shaky. It was like I was getting caught from everywhere. But then once you know, now you can start formulating game plans because you start understanding like, oh, when I do this, they do that. Well, if I do this and he does that, I can do this. And then you start playing with all of that like back and forth and that kind of metal battle where it's like you start thinking in your head, if I do this, they do this and you keep building those storylines in your head to learn that feel and flow of the sport. Cause the one, the one thing that really intrigues me about jujitsu is it only works if the other person does jujitsu. That's it. Like they have to be willing to participate in the sport for it to work as an example. And the jujitsu people are going to think I'm crazy. Cyborg versus Brandon Shop, right? We all remember that Metamoris match where it's like jujitsu doesn't work. Like the modern day jujitsu, because it's not a physical fight anymore, it's like he can't even do his jujitsu because the other guy's not doing jujitsu. So then it's only a battle of who has the best jujitsu. But you let Brandon Shop punch him in the face, let's see who wins. He knows just enough to stay away, but more than he knows in the other area, now it's a different ballgame.
So I, w- I was very fortunate enough to be a high-level wrestler, a very high-level judo player. Once I understood a little bit of jiu-jitsu, I could, I could play a little bit, get into trouble, wrestling and jiu-jitsu gets me out, or wrestling and judo gets me out, right? Come back into jiu-jitsu, get a little bit of trouble, wrestling and judo gets me out. And then as I'm getting all that information where I can test the waters and still get out of things, now once I understand jiu-jitsu and I know kind of their flow of it, I can punish them in every sense of the way just because I can bring them into a judo match while they think they're doing jiu-jitsu, but they're not, or I can bring them into a wrestling match where I can win because technically we got started in jiu-jitsu and before you know it, we're wrestling, but we're wearing geese, but he's fighting off a single leg or trying to shoot a single leg. And now we're wrestling. I can get to a front headlock, spin to the back. And none of that had anything to do with jujitsu that any jujitsu black belt could teach you. But because I wrestle, I can blend all the sports really well. And it's the one thing I'm really good at is I can either a hundred percent wrestle all independent. I can a hundred percent judo all independent. And I can do 100% jiu-jitsu, all independent. But my skill set lies in weaving all three together. Yeah, you you got to be a, a – I think Dave Camarillo's his judo stuff is the same. I, you guys are beasts. But I, I I feel sorry for the jiu-jitsu guys that start standing with you because it's – I pull guard, though. Oh, do you really? You pull guard. I do. I pull guard. <laughs> for the fun of it, the challenge of it, right? <laughs> no, it just – it bores me. I don't know. Like the, it's funny because when we start talking about stand up and takedowns, again, like regardless of your skill level, it is extremely difficult to take down anybody who doesn't want to be taken down and who doesn't want to engage in takedowns. So let's just move on. No, no, <laughs> that's I, my that's my no, interpretation I, of it. I think I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people, and I'll just bring this up in the law enforcement world. Sometimes they say, "Why is it so difficult to take a, someone down on the street when you want to arrest them?" And they because well, that person doesn't want to go down. And it's hard to describe to somebody what that is like. And, and when I do judo, whether you want to be taken down or not, I can physically throw you to the ground and hurt you. Like I don't care. My job is to throw you to the ground. In jujitsu, they don't have that mentality. So in order to not hurt people, I just like, I just pull guard. Okay. So now I get to ask you these fun questions here. We, we have like about 10 minutes left and I get to ask you these rapid fire fun questions that I ask Uh-oh. people. Um, what, what advice would you give other people? And I think you kind of touched on it to succeed in life and in sports. What kind of advice would you give to people? And I know you give advice to kids a lot too. And what advice do you give to people? Find something you want to do, not what other people want you to do. And I think a lot of people have friends, colleagues, people that they think they're light and they're so afraid to take that like leap of faith to follow that thing that they're passionate mm-hmm. about because they're going to lose their friends. They're going to lose their family. They're going to lose their mother, their father, their grandparents, whoever it is, because they're stuck in that little small circle that they're in, that they can't like grow and blossom. I was fortunate enough at a young age to find those things. And the older you get without finding that thing you're passionate about, the harder it gets to follow that thing and leave like the 10 years of the life you built. And that's really hard for a lot of people, but it's something that like, if you really want to be happy and you really want to live that life of like not making any sacrifices, not making any concessions and like doing what you want to do every day so that you're happy every day, then you, you kind of have to. What do you want to be remembered for when you're not on this earth anymore? When people nothing. look there. Nothing. I've done nothing. Well, you've I've done, done absolutely nothing. I, you may not think so, but you've done a lot for a lot of people. So. No, I'm a fat old man that tries to break a sweat every once in a while. Yeah, you, you've done a lot of, you've inspired a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here so much. Um, and you certainly have inspired me. So 
that's certain i'm going to remember you for that so oh well <laughs> uh what is on your bucket list is there anything that you've always wanted to do travis that you haven't done yet nope you've done everything you want is it do you want to travel or have you done all that and there's what about future professional goals but that's the thing is like i wake up every day and do what i want to do if i woke up and did something i didn't want to do i'd look myself in the mirror and hate myself like I'm, I'm fortunate enough right now to have the career that I have and the experience that I have and the resources that I have that like, if I wanted to have lunch at the Eiffel tower next week, like I just go do that. Like, I don't, I don't have to, I just don't want those things. Like, it's funny, like on Instagram, you see people with these like million dollar businesses, right? And they're like, oh, look at me. I'm at the beach with my friends and I did X number of whatever. Like, yeah, I could go do that too. I don't, but I don't want to be at the beach. I want to be making myself better and doing the things I want to improve not only my life, but the life of like my friends and people mm -hmm. around me, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not just about me being successful. It's about providing opportunity and things for other people in my life so that they can be successful and do the things they want to do. So I truly like building businesses, hiring people. Like if you want to do judo full-time, give me a call. I'll find you a job to do. It's not going to be full-time at start. We're going to have to learn and develop mm -hmm. and you're going to have to like put in work. And, but we can grow something. We'll figure out the money side of it once we figure out what it is that you're passionate about that you can help grow. I've had a couple of friends that we've tried like three or four different things just because they start and they're like, not really for me and not really for me over here. And we're just trying to find places for people where they can do what they're passionate about, do what they love and be successful doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. I love that. And what, a, what would the teenage self tell the, uh, what would the adult self tell the teenage self? Slow down. There's when you're, especially when you're an athlete and you're growing up, like you don't realize like how beaten up you are or how stressed you are, or, you know, like we say it with little kids all the time, like little kids don't get tired. That's not true. They just disguise it really well. And as you get older, you can't disguise it anymore. But when you're in those like development years, a lot of people overwork themselves instead of learning to work extremely hard in the set development or the set time frame that they should right as an example i get into this debate with wrestlers all of the time because they always tell me about how hard they work they'll have a two-hour practice to then climb the rope after do push-ups do squats and run sprints after practice. And I think to myself, like, dude, when I'm done with practice, I don't have that. It's not about not being able to. It's like, I gave what I had. I didn't like hold back a little bit just so that I could tell everybody, look at what I did after. That's, that's not what I do. I put a hundred percent of my energy into this thing. And then what's my job after that? rest and recover it's not to go do more workouts right and it's just when i was younger it was always about doing more volume to prove that i could do more than everybody else instead of understanding that like you should be putting a hundred percent of your energy into the training session or into the thing you're trying to do for the set period of time only and if you have energy afterwards you clearly screwed up you didn't understand what either cycle you're in or what the training was really meant for. And what is your guilty, guilty pleasure food wise? What do you like to eat? What's your weaknesses for food? I mean, I eat what I want to eat every day, so I don't really. So have what, are you, what are your favorite foods? Um, cakes, candies, sugar. I and mean, but then, that was just an everyday like thing for me as an athlete. And then let me ask you this last question. Then um, you you have um, what you currently like. You have you you train a lot of kids, and it seems to be that it seems to be one of your passions. You just like to train. 
people generally, or do you have a focus on kids or what do you, what's like your, I guess your current business model in terms of what you're doing with kids and, and training folks. We have a, we have a project called project gold and it basically, it helps raise the level of grassroots judo in the country. And we travel around and whether they're kids or adults, it's just reaffirming what the foundations are and teaching people how to teach judo and educating them on proper posture positioning and going over like, you know, fundamental skills that 99.9% .9 of all coaches skip over just because they try to get to the flashy stuff. And then what happens is when athletes come to me and it's like, Hey, I want to be an Olympian. You know, I look at all the boxes that have to be checked in order for you to even get there. And none of them have been checked and they've lost 10 years of development because the coach that they first had didn't set that foundational level so that when the athlete gets into like more exciting, flashy stuff, they have that strong base to pull from. And so it's just, we spend a lot of time, like just going around the country, really reassuring that foundational base and showing people that like, you don't know how to stand up. You don't know how to be in posture and you don't know how to use your framework to play defense and offense at the exact same time. And then once we go through that, then we start fixing other things. And if I had to label like the people I really like working with, it's probably the cadet range. So 15 to like 17 years old is probably like where I feel like I'm strongest is they're in the right developmental, the right framework where they can learn and absorb the most amount of information. I feel like once they get into that, like, 18, 19, 20 year old stage, they've kind of identified who they are, right? It's like, it's like finding like a BJJ purple belt and being like, Baron Bolo is not probably something you should be doing, but I love it. Trying to get them out of it in order to really improve, probably not happening because they identify as a Baron Bolo player. And so when you get into those older age groups, it's kind of something I shy away from because they're argumentative. They don't want to listen. They want to do it their way. And so when I take a step down the rung a little bit, you know, 13 through 17, then that's where I feel like I can have the biggest impact in an athlete's career. Travis, I want to thank you so much for being here because um, you're an amazing athlete. Um, the fact that you come on the podcast and this podcast is, you know, it's, it's to motivate people and that's what you do. And I appreciate you being on here. Please give a plug out. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to get your videos, if they want to train with you, can you please give your contact information or how should they get a hold of you? Um, Instagram, Judo Silencer is probably the easiest way. I check it every couple of days. Um, other than that, they can if they want to learn Judo online. They can go to the AmericanJudo.com website. Um, Jimmy and I have a whole encyclopedia there and system for people to learn at home and also if they have like a partner for jiu-jitsu or whatever and they want to learn stand-up it's all done right there online if they want to buy any one of the encyclopedias they can go to judofanatics.com and purchase any one of my videos or bjj fanatics for jiu-jitsu well thank you so much travis and let me tell you um if you ever need anything in the san francisco bay area man you got a friend up here for sure and thank you. uh and I want to thank Brian, my producer, and uh, I guess uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, if you like the podcast, please give your reviews of the podcast. And I uh, can't wait to see everybody next week. And thanks again, Travis, for everything. God bless you, my thank friend. Thank you.